It's good to be with you this morning. And this morning, as all, along with Mission Sunday, uh, today we're going to be talking about the mission of the church. And we're about to enter a season of sending people out. And if you think about it, think about all the trips and camps and all those things that are about to occur in our church. What better time to talk about the mission of the church? There are many ways in which we are sending people out this summer and throughout the year. But there's also many p- different places that we are sending people out. And so what I want to do to start this morning is to talk a little bit about those opportunities. Because I think it's important as we talk about what it really means to fulfill the mission of the church for us to understand what kind of opportunities we have to actually live that out. So there's a graphic I want to show you that we've put together this morning that uh, really goes along with Acts 1.8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And so I want you to look at this with me this morning. Look at some of the opportunities that we have to fulfill the mission of the church, to be sent out. The first place that we're sent is to Jerusalem, which is our Collierville, Tennessee. As you know, we have a backpack outreach, a great opportunity every August that we do to provide a backpack for those in need, and along with that, to be able to share the gospel through that. And so that's a great opportunity to be involved in going to Collierville. We also have something this year that we're going to be doing for the very first time called Neighborhood Block Party. It's going to be on our back parking lot. Uh, It's going to be a a, a family opportunity, a family event for children and adults alike. Um, we're gonna, there's going to be so many different ways that you can serve at that event. It's going to be three nights in July uh, at night. And the purpose is to reach out to our neighbors, for the, to reach out to those around us. It's going to be a church-wide opportunity. Every department is going to be involved in participating in our church. It's going to be intergenerational. And so there's so many different opportunities at that particular event for you to go to Collierville, to go to our very own neighborhood. Also, our workplaces. In our schools, I mean, what what better way daily to go and be sent and fulfill the mission of the church by being on mission wherever you work or wherever you go to school? And so we move out a little further, we go to Judea, and our Judea would be Memphis or Shelby County. There's so many camps that are going out this summer, Camp Singani, Camp Ocoee, Camp Oasis. And there's opportunities for adults and students alike to go and to minister to students from this area who are going to those camps, to be a camp counselor, to go and be a mentor to some of these students or children. What a great opportunity to go to Judea. Then we have food for families in the fall that we do every year, a great way to provide some food for somebody in need and share the gospel with that provision. Of course, supporting our local missionaries, those in the Memphis area that we support. There's quite a few of them, about 15 that we support locally in the Memphis area that you can encourage and love on and pray for and give to. And then, of course, as we saw this morning, many of the students are graduating and being called out to a university, right? We heard some people were going to Memphis. That's a great way to fulfill the Judea, right? The Judea calling is to go to Memphis, to a local university. What an incredible mission field for those of you that are going to Memphis or those that are here that are currently in college. And so we see that, and then we move out a little further to Samaria, which is the United States for us. We have several mission trips. One that is getting ready to happen, Navajo uh, mission trip to the Navajo people in Arizona. We just got back from a few trips over the last six months or so to Texas and Louisiana, which, which was with Samaritan's Purse to do some disaster relief and rebuild projects. And then obviously supporting our, our non-local missionaries, those missionaries that maybe are in the United States, but they're not here locally. Maybe they're serving overseas, but their home base is in the United States. That's a great way to support 
uh, Samaria as well and go to Samaria as well. And then students who are sent to non-local colleges. I think I heard Alabama and Mississippi State were the two main ones that we heard about this morning that would be considered non-local universities. As I said, one of the greatest mission fields we could ever have is a college campus. So I encourage you to really take that seriously and, see, and realize that God has sent you there for a purpose, those of you that are in, in college. Maybe it's family vacations. You say, maybe I didn't think about that one, right? We think of vacation as a time just to kind of relax and recharge and pretty much do a whole lot of of nothing. But the truth is, is that we don't get a break from being on mission for Christ, right? So even when we're on vacation, God is still calling us to speak a word for him. And so we need to be praying for divine appointments. If you think about all across this room and even in the first service, all the different places we're representing that we're going on vacation this summer. Could you imagine what kind of influence we can have if we're looking for divine appointments and being ready to speak the word of God in season and out of season, right? And then we move on to the ends of the earth and we see the neighborhood block party, party is on there again. And you ask, well, why, is, why are you putting that on there again? You already said something about it. Well, it's because we're going to be reaching our neighbors, but a very high percentage of our neighbors are from the country of India, all the way across the world. Can you imagine the opportunity that we have? I mean, how many churches have the opportunity to say that I'm going to go to my back parking lot and do an event to reach out to our neighborhood? And with that, not only am I going to reach my Jerusalem, but I'm also going to be able to reach the ends of the earth by just going to my back parking lot and serving my neighbors and ministering to my neighbors. What an incredible opportunity, not just a church-wide intergenerational opportunity, but a multicultural opportunity we have this summer through this neighborhood block party. Also supporting our non-local missionaries as well, those that are foreign missionaries, those that do live in other countries. What a great way to go to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, our foreign mission trips. We have Kenya, two to Guatemala, Ethiopia, Costa Rica, London, and Southeast Asia. And there's so many opportunities. And so the reason I wanted to take a few minutes this morning to share this is because what I'm about to challenge you to do, I want to make sure that you know plenty of ways to do that. You have plenty of options. You have plenty of things that you can do just in the church to fulfill the calling that God has called us to, to all of these places. But there are plenty of things that are not on this list, even that we're doing in the church that I I didn't mean to leave off, but I probably left off. But there's also things individually that God is calling you to do that you can do as well outside the church to speak a word for him. And so this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And what we're continuing to embark on daily in our going to our schools and our jobs, but also this summer through some of these other opportunities as a church is the greatest mission the world has ever known. Amen? And today we're going to look at an example from Scripture to learn a little bit about what does that look like? How do we fulfill that mission? How do we go and be sent out for Christ? So as you turn to Luke chapter 10, we're going to be in the first four verses to get started. But I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on before chapter 10. In, verse, in chapter 9, the first uh, few verses, we see that the disciples are called out. That the disciples are commissioned out in, in a similar way than what we're going to look at in chapter 10. And we see that many people were following Jesus Christ. After all, in this, this chapter 9, right before we're going to read, he performs three major miracles. He performs the feeding of the 5,000, the transfiguration, and we see that he drives out a demon from a young boy. People were noticing his power. In fact, this power is also given to his disciples. And people were noticing the power of God at work. 
In fact, some of the disciples, I think that power went to their head a little bit and their humanity, and they began to debate who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Got a little bit arrogant and started to talk about how great they were. But at the end of chapter 9, we see Jesus makes it very clear that following him requires sacrifice. There are three people that he talks to. One says with his mouth that he wants to follow Jesus, but then when Jesus talks about the sacrifice, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he quickly changes his mind. We see other people making excuses of why they can't follow him. And so there's a huge contrast between those that say they want to follow him with their words and their action, or with their words, excuse me, and then there's those that truly mean it and are willing to follow him with their actions, that are willing to give their whole life to follow him and to fulfill his mission. So I've got to ask this morning, which one are you? Which person are you? Are you someone that says with your mouth that you follow Jesus, but there's nothing to back it up with your life and your actions? Are you somebody that is truly backing up those words by going on the mission that God has called you to? So this morning, as we look at this passage, it's going to give us some insight on what that's all about. And so let's look at uh, chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 4. This is what it says. It says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he, he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Go, there, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no, or no money belt, no, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, I am a sinner saved only by your grace, God, and I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, make me a clean vessel to deliver your word to your people. Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words. God, I thank you for each person in this room. Lord, I pray that their heart would be open to what you have to say to them today. God, that it would inspire and encourage them to be more bold in their faith. God, to go to more places for you, to be sent out more and more for you, to fulfill the mission that you've called us to. God, I pray that there's someone in this room this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you as their Savior today and begin that journey of following you. God, and so whatever it is this morning, whatever you're calling us to, God, I pray for obedience this morning. I pray that our hearts would be open and that we would have an attitude of obedience and that your spirit would move in a mighty way. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we see here in, this, in this, these first four verses that Jesus commissions believers. Just as I am commissioning you today through the word of God, each one of us is being commissioned And the first thing we see is that the mission is a joint effort. We look back at verse 1. As far as we know, these people that were sent out were ordinary disciples. You might ask, well, why is this important? Well, we see in chapter 9, as I mentioned, that the disciples were sent out. But now ordinary people are sent out, which means that this is a calling that all of us are called to. All of us who know Jesus Christ are called to go out, to be sent out and to fulfill the mission of the church. It's not just those people that have some kind of special ability or special skill or maybe a really high education or certain amount of training, but this is all of us. Not only are we all called, but we all have the opportunity to follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. These were not the people that were making 
lip service to God, saying that they wanted to follow him, but then weren't willing to do it with their actions. But these were the others, the other people that were serious about their faith, that were ready to go wherever he called them to go. They were authentic followers who were willing to sacrifice and be sent. We also see in this passage that Jesus didn't send him out alone, did he? He sent him out in pairs. And I think that's a, another thing to show us that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. God is not sending us out alone, but he's sending us out together as believers in Christ to fulfill this mission together, to strengthen and encourage one another. And we see he sends him to every place that he himself was about to go. I think that's significant because it shows that we have an incredible opportunity to be the messengers of God himself, to be the messengers of Jesus Christ, that we have the opportunity, just as John the Baptist did in the New Testament, to go before Jesus Christ and prepare the way for him. What an incredible privilege to be the messengers of the king. So he comes behind us, but we also know throughout Scripture that he also goes before us. We see this a lot in the Old Testament where Jesus, or the, I'm sorry, the Spirit of God will go before the people as they go into battle or as they go to fight an enemy nation or a pagan nation. That the Spirit of God goes before. And then we know from the day of Pentecost when the Spirit, Holy Spirit was given to those who believe that he lives inside of us as well. That now he lives inside of us and so wherever we go, he is with us. So not only does he come behind us and go before us, but he is always with us. And so for that reason, this is a joint effort, not just a joint effort with other people, other believers, that we're all called to do this together, but it's also a joint effort with God himself, with Jesus Christ himself, because he goes before us, because he comes behind us, and because he's always with us. We don't have to worry about going alone or doing it on our own or finding the strength or the power on our own, but it is in his power that we go and fulfill the mission of the church. We also see that people went to towns that were different than their town, right? If we go to different towns around here, people might be a little different than we are that live here, right? What a great lesson for us is that when we go to those around us who are different than us, that's okay. That's what God has called us to do. And as we do that more and more as the church, the inside of the church should begin to mirror the outside of the church, right? The inside of the church should begin to mirror the community around us. And so we see all of these things that the mission is a joint effort, but we also see that the mission requires passion and prayer. Look at verse 2. The world is in desperate need of a harvest, but there are so few workers. Kind of makes what we do even more important, right? That we're obedient because those of us that are laborers, those of us that are workers are willing to go and be part of the few workers that there are. These are not spectators. They're laborers. They're not spectators praying for people to do what they aren't willing to do. They're also laborers that aren't praying for an easier job, but they're praying for more people to join them. So many times we, we get, we maybe get selfish or we get in our flesh. I know I do at times where we complain about the job that God has given us and we say, man, God, if you just give me something else to do that was a little easier, I, I would much, be much happier to do that. Or even worse, sometimes we sit in the pew and we do nothing and we pray that God will send somebody else when he's called us to be the ones to go. Let us not make those mistakes, but let us go with all that we have. We must have passion to go and that passion can only come 
from Jesus Christ. There has to be a, a passion in our hearts from God because he's the only one that can give it for the lost. To re- realize that there is a hell and that people really are going there all around us. They're lost without Jesus Christ. And God has called us not just to receive him ourselves, but to share that message with others. We must have a burden for the lost. We must have passion, and we must pray for these things. I think about all the unreached people groups all over the world that we know still don't have a Bible in their language, and many people that still have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that really amplifies this statement that the laborers are few, even though there's a great harvest. So we must maximize those of us that have been called and be willing to go with passion and prayer. So we see the mission is a joint effort. We see the mission requires passion and prayer, but we also see that the mission requires urgency and obedience. We must go now, we see in verse 3, that there's no time to waste. It says that we are sent out as lambs among wolves. It's not going to be easy. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our time and our money. It's going to be an inconvenience to us. It's going to be a sacrifice to us. It's going to cost us our comfort. And it may even cost us our physical safety at times. But God calls us to go in a way that we are like lambs among wolves. That we are to go peaceably and gently to the lost world. There might be some danger, but God is with us. You know, I can't think of a better example this morning than what you saw here this morning during the offering to see a missionary family that has chosen to go all the way across the world to be called out in a very dangerous place for the gospel. If that doesn't motivate us, if that doesn't inspire us to continue to do more for the Lord, then I don't know what else will. What an incredible example of, of a family that's being urgent and obedient to spread the gospel to the world. The last thing we see is the mission requires faith and focus. That we must fully rely on the Lord. We see that he tells them not to carry a money belt or a bag or shoes and to greet no one on the way in verse 4. What's the point there? Well, the point is, is that God wants us to fully rely on him. It's so easy for us when we get uncomfortable or when we get in a difficult position or a difficult spot in life, especially on the mission that he's called us to, for us to begin to rely on ourselves and to think that we need the things of the world to help us be safe, right? Or to help us protect ourselves or to get what we need or whatever you want to call it. But the truth of the matter is, is that anything of this world that we're relying on other than Jesus Christ is an artificial safety net. He tells them not to greet people on the way. Well, I don't think he's saying, you know, to be rude and just ignore everybody. But the point that he's trying to make there is to not get caught up in frivolous things. Don't get caught up in trivial things. Don't waste time on things that aren't important. And so we know from Eastern traditions of that day that greetings and things like that took a lot of time. They were very in-depth. And so the point that he's making here is that don't waste time. But this is, a, this is something that you must remain focused on the mission. You must remain focused on what I've called you to do and not get sidetracked or caught up by all of the other things that can happen. I mean, in the world we live in today, what a great lesson for us to be remembered today. We get so busy with our jobs and our families and school and education and all of the the entertainment that we enjoy as Americans. We get so caught up with all of these things, the technology, that so many times we lose our focus on why we're created, what God has put us on this earth to do. Let us not get 
sidetracked and lose our focus. So we see that Jesus commissions believers. We see the mission is a joint effort. It requires passion and prayer. It requires urgency and obedience. And it requires faith and focus. And as this passage continues in verse 5 through 16, we're not going to read it today for the sake of time, but the focus shifts from what we've just been talking about. Jesus now tells the people who to focus on. And he makes it clear that, that we are to focus on those who are open to the message, that we are to focus on those who are receptive to the message. And those people that we share with that have, have opened their heart to hear what we have to say, those are the people that he tells us to invest in. Those are the people that we disciple. Those are the people that we mentor. And we are to share with everyone, but he gives a strict warning for those that reject Jesus Christ. He gives a strict warning about the judgment that is coming for them. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it's important to stop for just a moment this morning and point out that hell is a real place. The Bible mentions hell more than it does heaven. And so if you believe in the Bible, you believe in heaven, you have no choice but to believe in a horrible place called hell that people that reject Jesus Christ are going to. And we have, to real, we have to stop and think about that, even though it's a horrible thought. Because when we stop and think about the reality of hell, it drives us to have passion and urgency to tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ so they don't have to go there. Our eternity is at stake, not just for ourselves and receiving Jesus Christ, but we have to be passionate and urgent to share with everybody that we can because of the reality of hell. Because it's such a terrible place that no one, we want no one to go to. Eternity is at stake. So I hope that sinks in this morning because that should drive us to do whatever God has called us to. The results of the mission in Luke chapter 10 verse 17 appear to us. So let's look at that as we continue in this passage. We see the 70 return. In my Bible it says the happy results. And we're going to look at that this morning. Verse 17 to 20, this is what it says. It says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So the first thing we see about the results of the mission as the 70 returns is that they return with joy, that they have joy in service. We see that in verse 17, that when we obey God and share his name, he will bring joy into our lives. Amen? And it's not just about uh, thinking about the trials or the hardships, but we really need to be focused on the success. Look at the people and as they returned, you better believe they had some trials. You better believe the enemy was out to destroy them. And along the way, along the journey, along the mission that God called them out to, you better believe that they had challenges, that the enemy was alive and at work. But what do they focus on? They don't focus on the challenges. They don't focus on the trials, but they focus on the success that God has given them. Even when it's hard, God will bring joy into our lives when we're obedient. We must stay the course, even when it's difficult. We see they also give Jesus credit. They realize it's not them doing this, 
that it's the power of God at work in them. That the only way they're able to do anything at all is because they've been forgiven of their sins and they've been given the power of God to go out and do what God has called them to do. That the joy in our service doesn't come from what we do, but what, through what God does in us. So we see joy in service, but we also see joy in God's power. Look at verses 18 and 19. Specifically, joy in God's power over the enemy. We see in 18 that a lot of these people that are coming back, you can tell they see the individual victories of the miracles that were performed or the the driving out of evil spirits or maybe those that come to follow Jesus. But Jesus saw these as part of a larger war that was being waged on the enemy to defeat and destroy Satan. I love the verse where it says that he watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What a powerful verse because we can see that when Satan challenges God, he always loses. And not only does he lose, but he falls like lightning, that he falls quickly and he falls without recovery. What an incredible promise for us today as we are sent. I believe this verse is alluding to Isaiah chapter 14 in Revelation 12, which describes Satan's fall from heaven with a third of the angels. But I also believe he's talking about the victories that were won on this mission, but, and I also think that he's referring to the ultimate defeat of Satan at the end of time. That in the end, that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. So we see joy in service, we see joy in God's power, and we also see joy in salvation. We see that God, uh, in verse, back in verse 19, let me back up a second, we see that God is on our side and we have no reason to fear. We see that he gives them an offensive power, the authority and power over the enemy, but we also see that he gives a defensive power and that he promises that nothing will ever harm us. Those are promises we can take to the bank. Those are promises that God gives us that we can rely on as we are sent out. And then in verse 20, we see the joy of our salvation, that we must not rejoice in our power over evil, but in God's power over us. And therefore, we must not rejoice in what we do for God, but what God does for us. That he has given us the opportunity to follow him, to serve him, and to be forgiven and be a part of his kingdom through salvation in Jesus Christ. So we see joy in service, joy in God's power, joy in our salvation. And then look at what verse 23 and 24 says. We see joy in glorifying God. Jesus turns to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see these things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. We have an incredible opportunity to be a part of the greatest mission the world has ever known. We have an opportunity to see the work and the movement of God just as his disciples did. I mean, think about that for a second. He says that even kings and prophets did not see the the things that these people were allowed to see simply because of their obedience. Ordinary disciples being obedient to follow Christ and to see the movement of God at work. This world tries to tell us of all the things that we should dream about. We should dream about having a, a great house and a great car and having lots of money and being successful and being well-respected in our job, in the places of work, or to be popular at school students. 
or all of these things that the world tries to tell us that we need to be happy in life. And the truth is, is that all of those things are empty in the end. Because none of them will last. None of them are eternal. The only thing that we can bank on, the only thing that's eternal, the only thing that matters in this life is what we do for Jesus Christ. Instead of, instead of dreaming about all of these things the world tells us we need to want and desire and work towards, how many of us truly dream about being a part of a movement of God? How many of us truly dream about what it would be like to see the movement of God in a way in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to maybe live at a time period when we see a movement of God that we have never seen before? Because that's what God created us for. That's the way that he made us. That's the way that he wired us to be serving him and glorifying him with our life. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first step is to begin to follow him, to begin to serve him, to begin to make him your king by asking him to come into your heart and your life and be your Lord and Savior. And this morning, we're going to have leaders from the church up here during this time of invitation that we're about to have. And I encourage you this morning, I plead with you, as we said earlier, hell is a real place. And heaven is as well. And God has a desire for no one to go to hell because he loves us so much, but we have to choose to follow him. We have to choose to put our trust into him and to live for him. The Bible says very clearly that he is the only way unto salvation. And so this morning, if that is you and you've never made that commitment, I want to encourage you to come. I plead with you this morning to come and to make that commitment in that first step of obedience today before you leave. But what about those of us that already know Christ? Those of us that are here today, What is God calling you to? The question this morning is, is what role is Jesus calling you to play in the mission of the church? God is calling everyone to do something. And it will take everyone to continue to do what God has called us to do to complete the mission that he has called us to. Maybe it's going, maybe it's giving, maybe it's praying. Maybe it's just encouraging whoever you can in the Lord. Maybe it's going to your job every day and being a witness for Christ. But whatever God is calling you to this morning, I encourage you to be obedient to that call. That we are in a battle for souls and we have the power of God on our side. There is no reason to fear because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we know the outcome of the story. God is just calling us to simply be obedient to what he's called us to do, knowing all the while that we finally fulfill what he has called us to do, that is when we're truly going to have the joy that we're searching for in this life because that's what he created us to do and that's how we truly fulfill our desire to glorify him with our life. And so whatever God is calling you to do this morning, I ask you to be obedient to that call, whether it's to come up here and just spend some time praying, asking the Lord all the opportunities that are out there, God, what, what do you want me to do? What are you calling me to do? Whatever it is, you be obedient as the Lord leads. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you, God. This isn't just a command, God, but this is an incredible opportunity to follow you. God, to fulfill the greatest mission the world has ever known. And this morning, I pray all across this room that your spirit would fall, God, on this place. And that you would do a mighty work, God in the hearts and the lives of every person that is here. God, that we would not leave this place until we're willing to be obedient to whatever it is that you're telling us to do. So use this time for your glory that you would move in a mighty way. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.